Well, we've been looking at the book of James, and it's a letter that James has written. Of course, James is a half-brother of Jesus, and he gives us some very practical advice of how we are to live as Christians. If you have made a profession of faith that Jesus Christ is Lord, then the principles in the book of James is for you. Because time and time again, throughout this book, we see that he addresses brothers and sisters. Why? Because he's addressing those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that he deals with is found here in chapter 4 that we're going to deal with today, and it's called a sin. So if you've come to God's house expecting a feel-good message, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to get a feel-good message here, okay? Okay, so don't leave right now, but we're going to talk about sin, okay? Uh-oh, yeah, we're going to talk about sin because it's, it's in the Bible, and we've got to deal with it. It's around us in the world we live in. We get attacked and tempted by the devil. How do we deal with sin? And James gives us some great advice here in chapter 4. Part of the, the, the focal point is in verse 4 that we have on the screen here. And James says this, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Pretty much the focal point of chapter 4 of James is saying, wait a minute, you are brothers and sisters in the Lord. You claim to be friends with God, but yet I see that you're also friends with the world. That should not be. No, uh -uh, that doesn't work. Because if you claim to have a relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and if you start fooling around here with the world... Now, what do we mean by the things of this world? We're talking about sin. We're talking about things like like, uh, uh, pornography. We're talking about things like sexual sins. We're talking about things like jealousy. We're talking about things like gossip and, and murder and slander. And the list goes on. And if you're gonna deal, you're gonna dabble in these type of things, what you're doing is you're cheating on God. You're cheating on God because don't, don't you have a relationship, a commitment to the Lord God Almighty? But yet if you dabble in the things of the world, the sins of the world, you're cheating on God. That's why James says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who, who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. you got to make a choice. You can't, you, you can't ride the fence. You can't be a friend of God and a friend of this world. It just can't be. So today we're going to talk about this. It's some great advice that James gives us. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for what you're going to do even today in our midst as we talk about a very important topic, the topic of sin. And Lord, we just pray that you would um, just challenge every single one of us to be the individuals that you've called us to be. And Father, may we be hearers of the word and doers of the word so that, Lord, as we learn from your word today, we can overcome sin, not let sin take residence within us. So may your word become powerful, and we thank you for this opportunity. Amen. You may be seated. I read a story about a young man named Derek. When he was 16 years old, his mom passed away. He struggled with life, wondering why. His questions about life centered around where can I be accepted and loved. He began to give in to the temptations of the devil. 
by having illicit relationships with a few of his lady friends, looking for love and acceptance, but never really finding it. He began to be negatively influenced by the things of this world and by the sinful desires of his own flesh. His bad decisions led him to end up spending two years in jail for armed robbery. Sin had taken Derek down a road that he didn't expect and a road that he really didn't want. It was there in jail that one reached out to him. Someone visited him to conduct a Bible study. Derek began to think at the top of himself, is there really a God? And if there is a God, could he forgive me? Could he give me a new start in life? And, and this gift of grace, is it really for me? So Derek had a decision to make. There are two portions of James chapter 4. The first portion introduces the problem, and then, then after that, we see the solution. The problem is that the world and worldliness entraps us. So I want to walk through what does James say in James chapter 4 about how the world traps us. Number one, the world traps you to fight with others. The world traps you to fight with others. So we start off in verse 1, and James says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your own desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. So he's saying, what is the root problem of fights and quarrels? The root problem is you don't get what you want. And when you don't get what you want, you get angry, you get agitated, and that's where fights arise. And you got to be careful about that. The world that we live in has a way of enticing you and I, entrapping us into a life of sin. Someone in this world that we live in says something about you, and it triggers your anger. You get angry. You want to fight with words. And sometimes other types of fights as well. Something in your world doesn't go the way you thought it was supposed to go. You get upset, and you fall into this trap. I have to tell you that the devil does his homework on you. What do I mean by that? He knows your weaknesses. He knows how to tempt you. He knows how to get you easily anchored. He knows how to push your buttons. Yes, the devil oftentimes will use an individual to push your buttons. He knows what it takes to get you angered, angry. One anger management firm stated that one out of every five Americans has an anger management problem. According to the recent, a recent FBI statistics, the most common form of homicide was a result of what? Of ar- an argument in the home. Wow, that was the most common form of homicides. There was an argument going on in the home. Anger-related violence is the reason stated for 22% of divorces in middle-class marriages of America. Studies show that 79% of violent children witness some sort of violence between their parents. Even a few years ago, we talk about anger. It's not only happening in the homes happens when we're behind the wheel of a car, so much so that the American Dictionary language had to add this word a few years ago to make it an official English word. It's road rage. Why did we even have to come up to the point to add this to our English language? But it is an official word now, road rage. So 
what I'm saying here is be careful for the traps of the enemy. Be careful because the enemy wants to entrap you. Yes, you're serving Jesus. You're loving God. You have a relationship and a commitment to God. But believe me, the enemy's out to trap you to come in the other direction. Be careful about the traps of the enemy. Number two, what do we, read? What do we learn here? The problem is this. The world traps you to chase worldly desires. The world traps you to chase worldly desires. So going back to verse 4 now, James says this, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That's pretty plain and simple. My friend, you've got to make a choice. If you say that you're hanging out with the things of this world, what does it mean, worldliness and the things of this world? We're talking about sin. We're talking about sexual sins. We're talking about lust. We're talking about pornography. We're talking about things that we say with our mouth, slander and malice. We're talking about uh, about gossip. We're talking about all sorts of sin, and you you know what sin is about. You know what is tempting to you, and what the enemy tries to trap you into may be different than what he tries to, to entrap uh, another person. But what is James saying? If you're going to befriend the world and the worldly desires, then you're not a friend of God. You become an enemy of God. Recently, the United Methodist denomination took a vote, and the, good, the results were good in one aspect, to maintain its traditional stance against same-sex marriage. Now, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Once again, the Bible says homosexuality is sin. It's as simple as that. Don't get mad at me for saying that. This is the word of God. And so, in one aspect, the good news is the United Methodist Church said, we're going to stick to our guns and say that we're not going to agree with same-sex marriage. The bad news is, when I looked a little further in this study, there were 53% of the constituents who voted in this matter, so they were the majority. But that also meant that 47% of their constituents wanted to accept sin into their denomination. And that bothered me. 47%, although that was the minority, wanted to integrate sin into their denomination. That's being a friend of God and at the same time being a friend of this world. Are you seeing what I'm saying here? James says, this cannot be. You cannot go there. If you're going to be committed to God, you got to be committed to God. And we see sin manifesting in various ways in the music we listen to, the movies we watch, the television shows that come on the air, in social media and on and on. The other day I was, I was uh, noticing an article that said, that talked about uh, DC Comics. They actually made a decision to cancel this comic, comic uh, uh, what do you call it, that they were pre- presenting called Second Coming. And according to the comic book resources, they, this whole comic called Second Coming was an animated work claiming that Jesus needed to return to earth to learn how to become the true Messiah from a Superman-like character called Sun Man. Witness the return of Jesus Christ as he is sent on a most holy mission by God to learn what it takes to be the true Messiah of mankind by becoming roommates with the world's favorite Savior, the all-powerful superhuman Sun Man, the last son of Crispex. 
Now, does anybody see a problem with that? <laughs> you see, and, and we're, we're getting all this sinful philosophies, even, even targeted to our teens and children. We've we got to be aware how, what is this all about? The enemy is trying to entrap our young people. That's what this whole thing is about. The enemy's trying to entrap us. We gotta be, we gotta be aware of what's happening. This is an example of the influence that the world has on our families. I like this quote from Kevin DeYoung. He says, Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. Now let me give you some good news, because probably in the area of of Hollywood, you may say, it's tough to stand strong in your convictions in an industry where the majority of the people are not believers. There's one actor that I want to thank the Lord for, and he's a born-again believer. His name is Neil McDonough, and he is not ashamed to say, I refuse, this is what he says, I refuse to do sex scenes because of my Christian beliefs. He said this, you get one shot at life to do the things the best way you possibly can and give glory to God in everything that you can do. And then he's pointing to his lips, and he says, these lips are made for one woman. I like that. We need more individuals like in Hollywood in every walk of life to take a stand for their convictions and not fall into the trap of the enemy that we're talking about today. So when we look at sin, we see that sin manifests itself in three ways. Number one, we see sin coming from the influence of the world. Number two, we see sin It comes from the temptation from the devil. And number three, sin comes from the desires of our own flesh. And I want us to understand and identify sin because we're going to learn today how we can overcome our sinful nature. But once again, we've got to identify the three places sin comes. Now, once again, the influence of the world we live in. I just gave you some examples of Hollywood and movies and music and and even our educational system. Uh, and then secondly, then temptations from the devil. The devil's going to tempt you because he wants to entrap you. And then third of all, the third place sin comes is the desires of our own flesh. Sometimes it's our own flesh. We have these evil desires to do wrong. We have that sinful nature. So we need to be aware of where sin comes from in these three areas. For example, how many of you have seen an apple with a worm coming out of it? How does that worm get inside the apple? Perhaps you think that the worm has burrowed his way from the outside, but no. Scientists have discovered that the worm actually is coming from the inside and going out. Well, how does it get there? Well, it's simple. An insect lays an egg in the apple blossom. Sometime later, the worm hatches in the, heat, uh, in, in the heart of the apple, and then the worm begins to eat his way out. Sin, like the worm, begins in the heart and works out through a person's thoughts, a person's words, and a person's actions. Got to be careful from the heart of the problem. Remember this. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. That's what sin does. So the enemy, the things of this world, the, the lust of the flesh gets us in trouble. What else are we entrapped to deal with? Number three, the world traps you to live with wrong motives. The world traps you to live with wrong motives. 
So now in verse number three, James says this. When you ask, do not receive because you, uh, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend whatever you get on your pleasures. So in other words, when you're talking to God, check your motives. Some of you have ulterior motives. Some of you have wrong motives. And you're wondering, why is not God answering my prayer? Why am I not drawing closer to God? You've got to check your motives. Sometimes that's the problem. One elderly man was on a beach. Now, this is a joke. He found a magic lamp. I had to tell you this because there really is no thing, such thing as a genie. Uh, but anyway, he picked up, he picked up this magic lamp, and, and the genie comes out. And the genie says, because you have freed me, I will grant you a wish. The man thought for a moment, and then he responded, well, my brother and I had a fight 30 years ago, and he hasn't spoken to me since. I wish he will finally forgive me. There was a thunderclap, and the genie declared, your wish has been granted. Then the genie says, you know, most men would have asked for wealth or fame, but you only wanted the love of your brother. Is that because you're old and dying? The man said, no way. I asked for that because of who my brother is. He's worth $60 million now. (laughs) He had wrong motives, huh? How many times do we have uh, wrong motives in life? Uh, I'm a sports fan, and I, and I picked up this quote from an NBA superstar. His name is Dirk Nowinski, and he was calling out NBA players today that are in the NBA but have wrong motives. He says this, I don't know if it's about winning as much anymore as it is looking good on Instagram, Twitter, having followers, and having clicks and likes. Now, what he was doing, he was saying, all these NBA players today, they're not in it to win. No, they're in it because they want people to like them. He was calling out NBA players for having the wrong motives. Well, in James chapter 4, James was calling out Christ followers who have the wrong motives. And when it comes to our prayer life, it's time to grow up. We often pray, oh, Lord, if you get me out of this financial mess, I will tithe for the next six months. Good prayer, wrong motives. Are you understanding the, the, the difference here? Oh, Lord, if you help me with this particular problem, I will show up to church every week for the next three months. Good prayer, wrong motives. Now, we often say, God, if you do this for me, I will do this for you. I got to tell you, that's the wrong approach. God isn't a you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back kind of God. No, what he wants is a relationship with you. He wants you to draw near to him. He wants to be close to you. And once that happens, here's the good news, then then you're going to be blessed with his his favor. You're going to have his blessings. But it begins with the relationship. It's not about having these motives that, well, God, if you do this for me, then, then, then I'll do this for you. That's not the way God works. James is saying, watch your motives. So we see here that James gets very clear, and in fact, when he uses in verse 4 this phrase, you adulterous people, what he's saying is you're cheating on God. You're allowing sin to take root in your life. You're allowing sin to control you. You're giving in to the temptations of the enemy. Don't go there. Don't do that. You've got to make a choice. So James begins by presenting the problem. What is the problem? The problem that all of us deal with today, it's called sin. Whether we like it or not, it's called sin. 
And I remind you, who is James writing to? He's writing to the believers. If you've made a decision to serve Jesus Christ, amen, how many of you have made that decision? You are Christ follower, amen? That's, that's the good news. The, the, here's, here's what we got to deal with. None of us are perfect. We are dealing with sin. We still need to overcome sin. We still need to overcome sin. So now James starts getting into the solution. So understand, we do need to deal with this problem of sin. But listen to his response. The world traps you, but the solution is this. God graces you. The world traps you. God graces you. He says this in verse 6. But he gives us more grace. But he gives us more grace. So do we have to deal with sin? Yes, we do. You're going to get tempted. I'll tell you this right now. You're going to get tempted. That's just the way the devil works. He's going to tempt you. The world, the influence around us, we can't help but see the traps that the world has for us. Sometimes it's our own personal flesh that gets in the way. But here's the good news. God extends to us his grace. Because of the world we live in, we need the grace of God. Because of the temptations and the attacks from the enemy, we need the grace of God. Because of the battles we have with our own flesh, we need more of the grace of God. You see, some people think, yeah, when I gave my heart to the Lord 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I received salvation because of the grace of God. Amen? We needed grace then. But I tell you this, we need grace now. Don't leave grace for the day that you gave your heart to the Lord. Yes, praise God for that day. But we need the grace of God to overcome and live right today. We have decisions to make. Can I give you an example of a, of a young, of a, I'm going to say young man. Well, you know, he's a man from our church, Roger Pettis. I, I read on Facebook that he actually uh, didn't fall into the devil's trap. Uh, this lady wrote this on her Facebook, and this is a picture of, of Roger. How many of you know Brother Roger, right? Uh, she says, this photo proves that there are still good people in the world. Two days ago, my wallet went missing, and this man right here is my angel. He found it on a sidewalk, picked it up, and right away he had to find me. Uh, so he had his daughters find me on Facebook. We met up this morning. Big hugs and smiles were exchanged. I thank him as part of my gratitude. I rewarded him with a generous reward for doing the right thing. There are still good people out there, and Mr. Pettis is one of them. And for that, I will be forever grateful to him. Amen. Praise God. Now, Brother Roger, you know Brother Roger. Most of you know Brother Roger. Yeah, let's give God praise, all right? <laughs> I imagine it was a temptation to fall into the trap. We're talking about the trap of the world, the trap of the enemy. Ooh, there's a wallet here. Thank you, Jesus. This is my lucky day. <laughs> if, you, if that's your response, you failed the test, okay? You failed the test, Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you this right now. Brother Roger made the right choice. You know what? He said, you know what? Because of the grace of God, i got to find the owner to this wallet, and he did. But I'm telling you, we have situations like this almost every day that you and I face. Am I going to make the right decision or the wrong decision? Am I going to fall into the trap of the enemy, or am I going to live under the grace of God? God's grace gives you the power to make the right decisions. Amen? 
Praise God for Brother Roger and praise God for each one of us that make wise decisions. Amen. So what does James say in verse in chapter 4? He goes on to give us five steps. And I love Scripture because he gives us five steps. I'm a bullet point kind of guy. It's very clear. This is how you can receive the grace of God and you can overcome the traps that the enemy puts before you to fall into sin. First of all, step number one, he says this, be humble. Here in verse 6, it says, this is what Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. He shows favor to the humble. We need to be humble. Heard the story about Muhammad Ali. When he was in his prime, he was about to, to leave on an airplane flight. He was in the airplane. The stewardess was going around making sure everybody had their, their seat belt fastened. And he came, she came across and said to Muhammad Ali, you need to fasten your seatbelt. And he refused. He says, sir, you need to fasten your seatbelt. He says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. The stewardess came back, well, if you're really Superman, then you wouldn't need this airplane either. Well, yeah, he was humbled, all right? He was humbled. I uh, heard the story about a former basketball coach from LaSalle named Speedy Morris. One day he was up early, shaving, getting ready for the day, and his wife called up. She says, honey, you've got a call from Sports Illustrated. Ooh, Sports Illustrated, okay. I'm a big-time coach now in college basketball. I guess they want to interview me and see what I have to say. So he rushes uh, to the phone, and he picks it up, and he's all excited. Oh, uh, yes, this is Coach Speedy Morris. On the other end, he says, for only $1.50, we can get you started with a subscription to Sports <laughs> Illustrated. Okay. He was humbled. Yeah, he thought he thought he was going to be big time. I mean, sometimes God knows how to humble us, right? So the first thing we got to do is be humble. What else does James say? Step number two, submit to God. Verse number seven, very clear. Submit yourselves then to God. The word submit here is a Greek word, hupotasso, which means to put under subjection to, to align yourself under God to align yourself under God. And once again, James is using this picture. You are called to have a relationship, a friendship with God. The problem is many of you, James is saying, are cheating on God and you're being friends with the world. That cannot happen. Submit to God here in verse 7 is literally in the Greek word to align yourself with God. In other words, you're going to align yourself with what God says his will for your life, and you're not going to go down that road. You're not going to cheat on God. That's what the word submission means. Two brothers were talking. One brother was a simple farmer, and the other brother was a successful businessman. The self-centered, arrogant businessman brother says, I can't believe you haven't made anything out of your life. You are out here on a farm. Look at me. Look at where I am. I have a high position. I have a great title. I like to wear my $500 suits. And you, you're stuck on a farm. Well, the brother farmer says this. Oh, on my farm, I got to tell you, my brother, there are two types of wheat. The first type of wheat is a wheat that is standing up straight and tall. This wheat is standing up straight and tall because there's nothing in the head of the wheat to weigh it down. So it's standing up straight and tall. But you will see another type of wheat that is bent over a little bit, 
because the head of the wheat is full and it is bending over. And he says, I got to tell you, my brother, he says, some people stand up straight. They're saying, look at me, watch me. I'm somebody. You can pat me on the back. They stand up tall and straight because there's nothing up here. No spiritual substance there. But then there are some Christ followers who love Jesus that have a whole lot of wisdom and knowledge. And because of that, they're bent over a little bit in submission to Almighty God. Submit to God. Submit yourself to God. Then the step number three is this. Resist the devil. Verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When the devil comes at you, number one, we don't have to run from the devil. We do run from sin. I want to clarify that. We run from sin, but we don't run from the devil. We can stand up to the devil. What does James say? Resist the devil. And when the devil tempts you to do something, you say no. I got to tell you something in our, in our junior kids' church we introduce something called the no button. And one of the things we're teaching your children is how to say no to sin. So when the devil comes to tempt you, you're going to press that no button. Did you hear that? How many of you need a no button, okay? When the devil comes at you, what do you do? I like that no button. So what do you do when the devil comes at you? You press that no button. No way, Jose. I'm not going to fall into your trap, enemy. No. We got to resist the devil. Amen. Got to resist the devil and say no to his schemes, no to his traps. You got to say no. We learn what Jesus did when he was, uh, we read about it in Matthew chapter 4, when he was tempted by the devil three times. He said no, and three times what, the, uh, what Jesus did is he came up with Scripture. He was prepared. Jesus was prepared for the attacks and the temptations of the enemy. And I ask you, are you prepared for the enemy to, for, to respond to the enemy when he tempts you? Are you prepared? See, Jesus was already spending time in prayer and fasting. And then the enemy came. Now, physically, Jesus was weak because he was fasting. But spiritually, he was strong. He was preparing himself for the temptations of the world. So when the enemy came, he overcame that. The reason why so many of us give in to temptation, give in to sin, is because we don't prepare ourselves. If you were to face a temptation tomorrow, how would you react? Are you prepared to say no? No? Prepare to say no. Because you got to resist the devil and he will flee from you. What a great promise. Step number four, come near to God. Come near to God. That we take this from verse number eight, come near to God and he will come near to you. Read a story about a boy who was, who was being harassed by a bully. Eight-year-old boy. There was a 10-year-old bully that was chasing him. He was walking home from school. The bully followed him. The bully just beat him up, just wanted to be a bully. The next day, the same thing happened. Finally, 
The little boy says, well, I'm going to take a different street and go down a different way so the bully won't get to me. The bully followed him during his, uh, down the road of his new uh, route to go home. Bully caught up to him and beat him up. And this is going on. So finally, <clears throat> this was happening time and time again. There was one day where the 8-year-old boy was walking home, and here comes that 10-year-old bully wanting to beat him up. But this time, instead of running, instead of being scared, the 8-year-old boy turned around and says, okay, give me what you got. And as the bully started getting closer to him, out from the bushes jumps the 8-year-old boy's daddy. The 8-year-old boy's daddy was about 6 foot 2, about, uh, about uh, 275. No match for this 10-year-old bully that was right there. Guess what happened to the 10-year-old bully? He ran as fast as he could to get out of there. Okay, this is, this is what happens. When you come near to your heavenly father, the devil's going to run. Submit to God. Resist the devil. The devil will flee from you. But what you got to do, you've got to come near to God. Because if you don't have your heavenly father near you, you can't call on him. The closer you are to the father, the more the devil is going to run the more victories you will have over the devil. One last step that we read about here. What does James say? Step number five, purify your heart. Going back to verse eight, James says this, come near to God and he will come near to you. Now, once again, one more thing before, I probably should have said this before we went to step number five. On step number four, come near to God and he will come near to you. You got to take initiative to get near to God. Okay, you've got to take initiative to get close to God. It's in your hands. The ball is in your court. If you don't experience God, if you don't experience the presence of God on a daily basis, don't blame God. He's right there. All you got to do is call on him. Okay, then he says this, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Once again, he uses this term double-minded. If you recall, in chapter 1, he used the word double-minded as well. He says, double-minded and unstable in all your ways in chapter 1. Now in chapter 4, he uses the same term, double-minded. What is he referring to? He's given us this picture that you're friends with God, you're, you're serving God, but at the same time, you're serving your, the things of this world and the sins of this world. You're serving your own flesh. That is double-minded living. You can't do both. No, you, you, you can't do both. That's being hypocritical. If you, if you say you're following God and, and at the same time you're following the sins of this world. James says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You have a responsibility to purify your heart. How can you purify your heart? Well, the best thing I can tell you is allow godly things to come in so that your heart can be cleansed and purified. So many times we allow the junk and the sins of this world to contaminate our mind and to contaminate our soul and our heart. James says it's time to wash up. It's time to purify your heart. A woman called a silversmith one day because she was curious about the process of refining silver. So she made an appointment to come to his shop and watch him work. She saw him hold a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. He explained that in the, the process of refining silver, you need to hold the silver in the middle of the fire. 
That's where the flames are the hottest. That's where you burn away all of its impurities. The woman thought about God holding us in such a hot spot. Then she thought about the verse in Malachi 3 where it says that God sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. She asked the silversmith if he had to sit there in in front of the fire the whole time. And the man says, yeah, I got to sit here because... If if the if what happens is if he takes his eye, eyes off the silver, it may it may be too long in the flames, and if so, it would be destroyed. So the woman was silent for a moment, and then she she said, "How do you know when the silver is fully refined?" He smiled and said, "Oh, that's easy. I know the silver is fully refined when I can look at it and see my image in it. That's when it is purified." All the sins rise to the top so that they can be wiped away. My friend, that's what God wants to do in your life and mine. He wants to purify us. He wants to refine us. And that refining process hurts. It's called growing pains. That refining process, you know what it does? It brings all these impurities to the surface so that they can be wiped away. And the Lord will not be satisfied with the process of refining your heart until he can look at you and see himself as a reflection. Are you ready to reflect the love of God? Once again, I read the story about this young man named Derek. I told you that he was 16 years old when his mother passed away. He struggled with life, wondering why. His questions about life centered around where can I be accepted he began to give in to the temptations of the devil, having illicit relationships with a few of his lady friends, looking for love and acceptance, but never really finding it. He began to be negatively affected by the things of this world and by the sinful desires of our own flesh. His bad decisions led him to end up spending two years in jail for armed robbery. Sin had taken Derek down a road that he didn't expect and really didn't want. It was there in jail that someone visited him and was conducting a Bible study on the topic of the grace of God. Derek began to think to himself, is there really a God? Could God really forgive me? Could he give me a new start in life? And this gift of grace, is this something for me? But Derek made a decision that day to be a Christ follower, and his life changed. His eternity changed because of the grace of God. Was he perfect? No, He had been living a life of flirting with the world, but now he began living to be a man of the word. Huge difference. His uncle began to disciple him. For the next two years, he lived and grew in the the Lord. And now, a few years later, Derek is discipling others. He is now leading, leading a small group in his church. He is an overcomer because he has conquered sin. Was life easy on him? No. Life was not easy on Derek, but he overcame sin. Now I'm asking you, what is it that you need to deal with? What is it that you need to cut out of your life? And I'll say this when it comes to sin, and I'll say one more thing, and then we'll take some time to pray. Sometimes we think, well, I'll I'll ease my way out of sin a little bit at a time. I, I disagree with that. I'm the type that says you need to cut it off. You need to cut it off. Kind of like that, that um, uh, this, this young man who had a monkey, 
and and he took the monkey to a vet, and the, and the vet says, "Well, here's the problem: You're, the tail of the monkey is is cancerous. We've got to cut off the tail, and to in order to cut off the the cancer." And and the owner, this this young man who owned the monkey, I can't bear to see my monkey, you know, just cut off the tail. So he said, "Let's do this. Let's cut off a little bit of a tail at a time." That's not going to help. That makes matters worse. You know what I'm talking about? If if that tail has cancer, cut it off at the root. Get rid of it. But a lot of people have this attitude. Oh, I've got, I'm dealing with this sin. I'll, I'll just cut off a little bit today, a little bit next week, a little bit. No, no, it, it doesn't work like that. It's time to cut it off at the root and get rid of sin. Would you stand with me? Oh, Lord, would you speak to us? As we prepare for a time of prayer, I would love for you to repeat after me, make this our declaration so that we can prepare for our personal time with the Lord. Here we go. Lord God Almighty, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I confess my sins to you. I have done wrong, and I repent. I ask you, Lord, to give me the power to overcome the influences of the world, the temptations of the devil, and the desires of my own flesh. Because I have received your gift of grace, I am more than a conqueror. I will humble myself. I will submit to you. I will resist the devil. I will draw near to God. I will purify my heart, and I will overcome. Amen. So be it. If you're in agreement, give God some praise right now.